Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the From Ballparks to Buzzbeard Sportscast. I'm Perry Mortinos, alongside my co-host, James Farley, and we have a great episode planned for you guys, so let's get to it. James, take it away. Thanks, Barry. To start it off, we're going to be discussing the AL wildcard and NL wildcard games. The Red Sox seized the day and defeated their arch-rivals, New York Yankees, at Fenway Park on Tuesday night, 6-2, to advance to an ALD matchup with another AL East team that they have played several times throughout the season in the Tampa Bay Rays. That will be a series we will discuss later in the episode. And then on the other side of things, other side of town in the NL Wild Card Series, uh, on Wednesday night the Dodgers defeated the Cardinals, the Red Hawk Cardinals as a matter of fact, who were able to squeeze into that second wild card spot. But the Dodgers were able to win that one 3-1 to one on a walk-off two-run home run by Chris Taylor in the bottom of the ninth to send the, the Cardinals packing and bringing the Dodgers to an NLDS matchup with the San Francisco Giants. So that is going to be a huge series with two star-studded teams, and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit as well. But to start things off, we have a great series in the AL East with in the American League, that ALDS series with two AL East teams with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Boston Red Sox. We've seen it throughout the entire season. Tampa won the season series 11-8, to but... I think that the Red Sox are definitely going to give Tampa their money's worth. Perry, what else do you have on this series? Yeah, James, so I would argue that Tampa has been probably the most consistent AL East team. You could certainly argue that the Red Sox were better before the trade deadline, but in between that trade deadline to roughly you know mid-August, that was a rough stretch for the Red Sox, a rough two, three weeks there. So Tampa's definitely been the most consistent team all season long. Wander Franco has been... Good this season, but he's been phenomenal against the Red Sox. And then the Red Sox gave up an eight-game division lead to these Rays after the trade line line, and they will now try and get their revenge and eliminate them from championship contention. The only pickup that the Red Sox made, they made Kyle Schwarber, but he was injured for the first two weeks when he came back. They also picked up Austin Davis and Hansel Robles, who hasn't really done... They both haven't really done much. They've been more important pieces of the bullpen ever since Matt Barnes started falling off. But other than that, I mean, it's really been Kyle Schwarber since the trade deadline, and he has been phenomenal for this Red Sox team. That's definitely the case, Perry. And as you said a little bit before, you think that the Rays are the more consistent team, but the Red Sox could be, by some say, the better team. And that's what a playoff team needs to be if they want to win. They have to be better. They can't really just be a consistently good team. Because if you're consistently good, putting up three or four games, every game throughout the playoffs, you're not going to win games. You need to be good. You have to be really good to be able to win these games, and that's what the Red Sox have. They have considerably better bats than Tampa Bay. With Kyle Schwarber, who's now at the leadoff spot, Kike Hernandez at two, Devers and Bogarts going three and four. Those two will start on the left side of the infield in the All-Star game this past season. Then you have J.D. Martinez, who is back on the roster after being out with an injury in that wild card game against the Yankees. You then have Hunter Renfro, Christian Vasquez, this team, I think, has one of the, if not the best hitting lineup in this entire playoffs. And that, and those bats, I think, are going to be able to lead this Boston Red Sox team to a, a series victory over the Tampa Bay Rays in four games. Yeah, James, here's how I look at it. I look at, like, the best team, right, is the hot team in the playoffs. You need to be hot to be able to, you know, win all these games to get to the World Series. And I would say the the Red Sox are coming in a little hotter. right. I mean, yeah, the Red Sox are coming in a little hotter right now. They won that series against the Nationals, so they, and then they won the Yankees, so that's four straight games. And the Rays did take 2-3 against the Yankees in the series, 
before the playoffs. But at the end of the day, this Red Sox team is coming in hotter, but we know how inconsistent they can be. They really have to go out there and play like they really want it every single game to even be competitive in a game. And then in the playoffs, pitching matters the most to me. And I just don't know if the Red Sox have what they what it can get done in the playoffs. Nathan Valdi has been great this season. Chris Sale has been good since returning from Tommy John surgery. But other than that, you got Eduardo Rodriguez, who's starting game when he's iffy. Nick Pavetta, who will probably be moved to the bullpen for most of the playoffs. He's been meh. Martin Perez, Garrett Richards in the bullpen. So not great options pitching-wise for the Red Sox. So this offense is going to have to score a lot of runs for them to win. Yeah, Perry, this offense is definitely going to score a lot of runs, but I disagree with you on this pitching staff conversation because Chris Sale, he's starting to show glimpses of that ace-worthy type of pitching that he has had prior to his Tommy John surgery. The only problem with his game is that he looks phenomenal through four or five innings, give or take, but then he gives up a long ball, and that's kind of been a consistent like trend that's happened since he's come back from that injury this season. He always is looking great, you know, has like, eight strikeouts through four innings, but then gives up a two-run homer, and next thing you know, it's a tie ball game. So if um, if Chris Sale can eliminate this from his pitching performances, then this Red Sox team is definitely in good shape because Nathan Ovaldi, as you said, is looking so good. He was he looked like an absolute star in the wild card game. Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm higher on him than you are, Perry. I think that he's going to have a good postseason. He has a good repertoire of pitches. So he's going to be good. And then actually was Nick Pavetta. I don't think he's going to be moved to the bullpen. I think that he's going to become that fourth starter for the Boston Red Sox. Because in all seriousness, a playoff team needs four starters to go throughout the playoffs. Because if you go Chris Sale and then Ovaldi, Rodriguez, and Pavetta, these teams, they're going to do whatever they can to win games. If that means pitching a, having one of their starting pitchers start on a short like on a short basis or in a short rest period, they're going to do that. And I know Alex Cora is going to be willing to pitch, let's say, Nathan Ovaldi on just two or three days rest. He will do that if he has to. And I think that this Red Sox pitching staff is good enough to win games. And especially with those hot bats they have throughout the batting lineup, this Red Sox team is going to stir things up throughout October. James, if you look at the recent World Series winners, right? 2020, the Dodgers, they had Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Dustin May, they had Julio Reyes, who was more in the bullpen role. And then 2019, the Nationals had Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer. 2018, the Sox had Evaldi, Price, Porcello, and Sale. And then 2017, the Astros had Keuchel, they had Cole, they had Greinke. So it was a very different thing compared to, you know, the top three of the Red Sox, who are Evaldi, Sale, and Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, they're good. They're average but I don't think average is going to cut especially in these playoffs where you have high scoring offenses all over the place especially in this AL. Perry however in that 2018 World Series you said that the Red Sox won. They have almost the exact same pitching staff as you were just saying. They have Chris Sale still. They have Nathan Ovaldi still. They still have Gerardo Rodriguez. They only lost David Price and Rick Porcello and I think that Nick Pavetta is going to be able to live up to going to be able to pitch at about the same level as Rick Porcello did. And on the other hand, I think this Red Sox batting lineup is far superior than that one. I know that we don't have Mookie Betts any longer, but still, I think that this Red Sox batting lineup has a ton of hot bats throughout the entire order. They're dangerous, like one through seven. That's You don't want to face any of those guys. And then the eight and nine spot, if you have you know Kevin Plawecki at the catcher position who's been swinging a hot bat, Christian Arroyo who started at second base, any of those guys filling in can, have, can go to good 
get, get a good piece of the ball too. So I think this Red Sox team is a lot more dangerous than you're making them out to be, and I expect them to win this series against Tampa. Yeah, James, I, I, they're a good lineup. I don't know if they're greater than that 2018 team. I mean, you had Andrew Bentendi in left who had won a great postseason. He's obviously fallen off a cliff since then. He's been traded. JBJ could never swing a bat, so he's out. Uh, Mookie Betts, who you said, who's a stud, second-best player in the league, maybe third-best now behind Shohei Otani. Then Devers Bogarts are still here. They had Ian Kinsler starting most at most games at second base. He was okay. He was really there for his defensive prowess. But then Steve Pierce, who won World Series MVP, he was phenomenal at first base. He and Mitch Moreland were plateauing games. And then Christian Vasquez at catcher, who's still here. So, I mean, they're pretty similar lineups. I would still take that 2018 lineup, especially considering that bullpen that they had and that starting pitching staff. I have Tampa Bay winning this series in four games. I think the Red Sox will be able to steal one game. But for me, the key for the Red Sox is in this series is they knew win one of the first two games, and then they knew hold serve at Home, I think their best chance for the Red Sox is winning in four games. I don't. If it goes to five games, I don't trust the Red Sox to win in game five. I actually completely disagree with you, Perry, because this Red Sox team, their batting lineup is just so much better than the Rays. I mean, what did the Rays have? I mean, Randy Rosarina, yeah, he was phenomenal last playoffs. Joey Wendell, you were talking about Wander Franco before. This team, they have consistent, pretty solid hitters. But they don't have any superstars. The Red Sox, on the other hand, they have Devers, who is looking at 30-plus home run season. Xander, Xander Bogarts, who is getting a little swagger back after that two-run homer in the first inning of the wildcard game. J.D. Martinez, who you know what you're going to get out of him on a nightly basis coming back from that injury. Um, you have Hunter Renfro with a th- like a 30-home run season this past year in right field. You have all these guys, who Alex Verdugo who is swinging just a base hit kind of guy, getting the job done there. Kike Hernandez, Kyle Schwarber, who had 30-plus homers. This team is really good at the plate, and I think that they're just significantly better than what Tampa Bay has to offer, and I think those bats are going to lead them over their AL East um, like co-team over, over Tampa, and the Red Sox are going to win this one in four. Well, James, nonetheless, this will definitely be a fun series to watch between two AL East rivals. You have the Red Sox in four. I have the Rays in four. So we will definitely have to see her turn two turns out right in that series. And then moving on to the next game in the AL, the Chicago White Sox versus the Houston Astros. These are two of the oldest managers in the league facing off. I believe they are the two oldest managers in the league in Dusty Baker with the Astros and Tony La Russa with the White Sox. Um, the Astros seem to be on an odd year World Series streak. They made the World Series in 2017 when they cheated. I think they're a better team um, than people think. They didn't win because they cheated. I think they Cheat, the cheating helped them, but they very well could have won by being the Dodgers even without the cheating. And then 2019, they lost to the Nationals. The Nationals had really great pitching that year. And then it's 2021 this year. So continuing on that odd year World Series streak, like the even year Giants in the early 2010s. But the White Sox have had a great season as well, James. Yeah, Perry. Well, first of all, I disagree with you on the whole cheating scandal. That's a conversation for another time, though. Here, I have the White Sox winning this series in four games because this, again, they have great hitters. We have They have Yoan Moncada, who came from the Red Sox a couple of years ago in that Chris Sale deal, Jose Abreu, who's an MVP candidate, and as well as Tim Tim Anderson at that shortstop position. These This team is a really good team, and I don't think that the Astros are going to be able to get the job done. They have, they have pretty solid hitters, yeah, with 
Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman across the board. But I don't think that they have – I think that their, um, their World Series time, that's past 2017, 2019. I don't think that they're going to be able to get back again. This White Sox team has a lot more to fight for, I feel like. I think that it's going to end up being a Sox versus Sox ALCS matchup between the Red Sox and White Sox. I have the White Sox win the series in four. James, I have Houston in five. I think this is going to be a hard-fought series, but I think that those bats of the Houston Astros, even if you said that they're not that good, I think they're pretty good, and I think they're going to be able to advance to the ALCS. And then moving on to what might be the greatest divisional series matchup ever, the 107-win San Francisco Giants taking on the 106-win Dodgers. So the Dodgers advanced on Wednesday. As you said earlier, Chris Taylor had hit a two-run walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth, and then they hope to ride their big-money talented World Series win. I don't know if any team in recent years has been as talented as this Dodgers team. I mean, they can just run out any guys that would be stars on other teams. Trey Turner is an afterthought on the Dodgers. He's a star anywhere else. Mookie Betts, Cleve Bellinger's been mad this season. Max Muncy will not be in due to a freakish elbow injury, but this Dodgers team has definitely been one of the best teams all season long and is definitely the most talented team in this year's playoffs. Perry, I completely agree with you on that talent level. However, if you look at their wild card win over the Cardinals, they put up three runs, and two of those came off of one swing of the bat by Chris Taylor, who is an afterthought, as you said, in that batting lineup. So if those stars aren't performing as well as they need to be doing, I mean, Mookie Betts, he's still great. He's going to get on almost all the time. You have Corey Seager, Justin Turner, and then Max Muncy, he's out. Cody Bellinger, he isn't swinging a good bat either. So I don't think that this Dodgers team is while their talent level is so good, I don't think their batting lineup is going to be able to match up with the San Francisco Giants. However, their pitching is, is I mean, it's undeniably incredible. Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, this team is, and Max Scherzer as well, this team is almost unstoppable on the pitching mound, so it's going to be hard to hit them. However, I mean, throughout the whole year, a lot of people were thinking San Francisco had that divisional lead over the Dodgers, but... People are like, oh, it's just a matter of time until San Francisco falls out and Dodgers overtake them at that position. But it never happened. San Francisco kept winning. They kept defeating the Dodgers in series, taking two or three games, almost sweeping them at times. They were able to win games when it mattered over the Dodgers. They were able to hold on, and that shows a lot of resilience. They made moves, getting Chris Bryant, and now they also have a great batting lineup. Brandon Crawford had an MVP caliber season. Buster Posey at catcher. Mike Yastrzemski Jr., who is going to get a hot bat in the playoffs. And at, at the pitching mound, they have Kevin Gosman, who can match up with almost any of those Los Angeles Dodgers pitchers. So I think this Giants team has a lot more to offer than people are anticipating because they just look at the Dodgers and think, oh, they're just going to be able to have a cakewalk through and win this one. I actually don't think that's going to happen. I think the Giants are going to take them to five games and then even knock them off, shocking the MLB world and Los Angeles Dodgers nation. I have the San Francisco Giants winning this series in five games. James, I agree. I think this is going to be a five-game series. I think it's going to be a very hard-fought series. A lot of 4-3 games, 3-2 games, 5-4 games, one-run games across the board. I have the Dodgers in five. I think eventually Talon wins out. I think that this shorter series helps the Giants a little bit. They don't have to win as many games. But this Dodgers team is just too good. They, they're going to roll out Walker Buehler in Game 1, Julio Reyes in Game 2, Max Scherzer in Game 3. Those three star pitchers are better than anyone the Red Sox has. So I think that this Dodgers team will win in five games. 
And then moving on to the other NL divisional matchup, this is the Milwaukee Brewers versus the Atlanta Braves. Milwaukee has a starting pitching matchup with anyone, and that includes the Dodgers. Kerbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, they've been dominant all season long. Kerbin Burns is an NL Cy Young candidate. And then Atlantic overcame Ronald Acuna's torn ACL to win the slugfest in the NL East, but they really aren't viewed as a serious threat to this Brewers team. They defeated the Phillies, who made a late season charge between behind Bryce Harper. The Mets kind of fell off a cliff. They might never return to prominence. That's another discussion for another day. But this is viewed as the worst divisional series of the bunch. But either of these teams would like to try their hand at defeating one of the NL West juggernauts who comes out of that series. I have Milwaukee in four this one. I think that that starting pitching is too good, and Atlanta is not going to be able to knock off the Brewers. Perry, for the first time today, I actually agree with you on this one. I have Milwaukee in four as well. This pitching staff, they're just going to they're going to dominate with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, as you said. Those are almost three guaranteed wins against this uh, against this Atlanta Braves team. So I think Atlanta's going to be able to steal one, but at the end of the day, this Milwaukee Brewers team is going to win this series, especially with Christian Yelich in the batting order, too. He's a great player in his own right as well. So now we're heading on over to NFL discussions. We are a quarter of the way through the NFL season, four games through. It's a 17-game schedule, so right around that point. So we are going to, Perry and I are going to be giving up our NFL quarterway awards. And we're going to be starting off with the MVP award for who we think is play, who deserves the MVP after the first four games at this quarterway mark. For me, it has to be Kyler Murray, the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. He's the leader of the only undefeated team in the NFL. So that is definitely a major part of his resume for this elite quarterback he's elusive he can pass the ball he's thrown for nine touchdowns already in just four games as well as 1,273 passing yards but that's not all he also has 109 rushing yards and three touchdowns on the ground as well so Kyler Murray can clearly make it happen with his legs when he needs to as well better than almost every other quarterback in the league aside from you know he's in that tier around Lamar Jackson for example but Kyler Murray is definitely a fun player to watch he is the best quarterback he I think he's the best quarterback so far these four past four games to start off the NFL season I have him winning the MVP for the quarterway awards so far yeah James no RB or wide receiver have really made a case to be included in that non- quarterback MVP discussion except for maybe Derrick Henry who has over 500 rushing yards so this MVP award is looking like it's going to come down to quarterbacks Kyler Murray as you say is a great choice Pat Mahomes Matthew Stafford um, would certainly like a hand Aaron Rodgers but I actually have Dak Prescott winning this MVP award right now I mean I think with Prescott's injury we forgot how good he really was he was on a tear at the beginning of last season and he's kept that up this season. This Cowboys team is looking really, really good. They're 3-1. and one. The only loss that they had was to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Thursday night opening week, 31-29. Tom Brady led a game-winning field goal drive, but then since then, they've blown team teams out. They blew out the Carolina Panthers last weekend, um, and the Panthers we've, were 3-0 and team. We view them as a really good team coming in, and they just n- completely blew them out of the water. And then they defeated the Eagles on Monday Night Football the week prior. Ezekiel Elliott's been good. He hasn't been great. Dak Prescott has had to put this offense on, their sh- on his shoulders. And I think that this Dak Prescott, especially in this week, and, and NFC East, excuse me, 
will be in the playoff discussion and even in the number one seed discussion at the end of the day. Yeah, Perry, Dak Prescott is definitely making a case for that MVP award so far. He's having a great year, and I expect him to continue putting up great numbers for his Dallas Cowboys team as well as collect wins along the way. Heading on over to the Coach of the Year award at the quarterway mark, I'm giving this to Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams. He is that he's led the Rams to a three and one record, and their only losses to an undefeated Arizona Cardinals team. As I said before, led by whom I think should be the MVP, Kyler Murray. So far, he's led the he's leading the best defense in the NFL right now with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. It's actually kind of it's kind of mind blowing to think that if you have if you you're using the run game a lot, you have Aaron Donald just blowing through the offensive line, making tackles. That beast he is. He is definitely one of the best plays in the entire NFL. If you're then going to pass the ball to your number one target, you have Jalen Ramsey locking him down, putting him out on an island out there. That is hard to make any completion against Jalen Ramsey. So whether it's the pass game or running game, this Los Angeles Rams team is set for anything. And he's also transformed Cooper Cup into the best wide receiver in the NFL this season, which is saying something. Cooper Cup has been unstoppable. He is definitely Matthew Stafford's number one option so far in his first year in LA and the team chemistry is clearly clicking with Stafford at quarterback he came from Detroit that situation wasn't very good he was never surrounded by talent he needed to win but now that's a definitely a different situation with Cooper Cup Robert Woods you even have Daryl Henderson in the backfield who's showing off so far so I'm a big fan of this Los Angeles Rams team I was heading into the year and they're clearly showing that they are capable of winning games they are a legitimate shot at having a Super Bowl appearance this season. They're going to have to get through teams like the Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But at the end of the day, I think Sean McVay should have the Coach of the Year award so far at the quarterway mark. Yeah, James, you and I were both very high on the Rams entering the season, and they are not proving us wrong. Although I think Sean McVay is a great coach, I think the Coach of the Year has to go to John Harbaugh from the Ravens. He didn't really make the great move last week when they were 97 yards rushing and he wanted to get to that 43rd game to tie the record. So they could have just taken a kneel, but they sent Lamar Jackson out on a QB keeper, whatever. They got five yards, they got the 100 yards. It's been criticized by Denver, it's been criticized by other people, whatever. But he has been the best coach in the league. The Ravens have been decimated by injuries. Marcus Peters went down, J.K. Dobbins went down, Gus Edwards went down. Lamar Jackson's been playing great, but John Harbaugh has proven to be a good coach in this league for many, many years, and he is keeping that up this season. He's made all the right calls. The Ravens have looked pretty good. They've looked pretty intense and pretty competitive in most every game. You could have argue that they had a letdown in Detroit when Justin Tucker had to kick a 66-yard field goal to just keep them alive, but I have this award going to John Harbaugh from Baltimore. He's 3-1 along with two other AFC North teams in the Browns and the Bengals, and this team needs to keep winning to have a legitimate chance at winning the AFC North. Yeah, Perry, definitely John Harbaugh is doing a good job in Baltimore. Head on over to the Defensive Player of the Year award. I'm giving this. This is a no-brainer for me. This is going to Miles Garrett, the defensive end of Cleveland. He, I mean, just the numbers that he has put up in just through four games, he leads the NFL in with six sacks. He leads the NFL with 14 quarterback hits. He's tied for first in the NFL with seven tackles for loss, and he's tied for second in the NFL with 24 pressures, all through just four games, as I said. So Miles Garrett is a dominant presence at, on that defensive line, just pressuring the quarterback, stopping the run game. He is a dominant force for those three and one Cleveland Browns. So watch out for this guy. He's going to be definitely making opposing offenses worried throughout the entire season. I'm giving him the Defensive Player of the Year award through the quarterway mark. 
James, I think there's really only two candidates here. I think it's Miles My- Garrett and Trayvon Diggs from Dallas, who's the cornerback. I have to go with Diggs here. He has five interceptions in four games. He's becoming a star in front of our eyes. He has looked really good this season. He has helped Dallas shore up their defense along with Micah Parsons, the rookie. But as you said, Miles Garrett's been phenomenal too. I think this is this could become a two-horse race between Garrett and Diggs. Yeah, definitely. Perry Trayvon Diggs is doing a great job in Dallas. And now we're heading to the most surprising team who Perry and I have kind of been thinking about so far at the quarter mark. And for me, that's the Carolina Panthers. They're 3-1, and one, and their only loss is without Christian McCaffrey, who suffered an injury in Week 3. And they're likely getting him back this week for Week 5. His status is still undetermined, but they are hopeful that he is going to be able to suit up for Week 5. And also, Sam Darnold is looking incredible with his new team. He was not a good quarterback in New York and the Jets. And you know what? There isn't really a good quarterback with the New York Jets because of their options there. Zach Wilson is trying to make the most of the situation. But over in Carolina, Sam Darnold is doing a really good job. He's thrown for 1,189 yards and five touchdowns. But he also has five rushing touchdowns so far through just four games. So he's able to make things happen on it with his legs in the red zone, running for those punching it in in the red zone, scoring touchdowns for his Panthers team. And then he's also thrown the ball a lot. In the past three weeks, he's thrown for 305 yards, 304 yards, and then 301 yards. So he is definitely hooking up with some of his best players, such as wide receiver DJ Moore, who, you know what, he's on my fantasy team, and I am definitely welcoming him with open arms. He's having a great season so far. One of the best wide receivers up to this point. But I am definitely giving the most surprising team award to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, James, the Panthers have been great this season, but I have to give you the Cardinals. As you said earlier, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. You talked about Kyler Murray, how great he's been. The offense has been phenomenal. DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, Chase Edmonds. You have no idea who's going to beat you any week on the offensive side of the ball, which makes them so dangerous. And the defense is held up. I don't know if they will keep holding up, but they've held up up to this point, except for that Minnesota game. But man, oh man, this Cardinals team looks very good. I did not expect them to be here at all, especially because I thought the Niners would have a bounce back here. The Rams are looking great. I thought the Seahawks would be good as well. But this Cardinals team is proving that they might be here to stay in Kyler Murray's fourth season, third season, excuse me, I believe. So this is definitely going to be a battle for this NFC West. And I don't think the Cardinals will be able to keep it up, but they have definitely been the most surprising team for me up to this point. Yeah, I definitely agree that the Cardinals are a surprising team at that 4-0 record. I actually think they're going to be able to continue winning games. They're not going to go undefeated at the end of the day, but I think that they could have you know a three, just four loss season around that point and definitely punch their ticket into the playoffs. Now I'm going over to a negative side of things with the biggest disappointment in the NFL through four games. And for me, it's definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. Just because they are so good. Look at who's on their roster. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league. Tyree Kill at wide receiver. Travis Kelsey. Tyree Kill is arguably the best wide receiver. Kelsey, he's the best tight end. This offense is unstoppable. Yet, they've already lost two games. They're 2-2. Two two. They lost to the Chargers, led by Justin Herbert, who's having, uh, you know, he's in conversation for being the MVP, as we're saying, through the first four games. But this Kansas City Chiefs team should be at least 3-1, and one, if not 4-0, and oh, with the roster they have. That's unacceptable, especially with how stacked their roster is with Andy Reid at that coaching spot. I think that Kansas City is going to end up turning it around, but they have definitely been a major disappointment so far. 
Yeah, James, I agree. They haven't been great this season. Um, Their two losses are to Cleveland and Baltimore, and then they have Buffalo this week. If they lose to Buffalo, that is not good for tiebreaker purposes in the AFC. But my biggest disappointment is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, I didn't think that they would be good this season, but I didn't think Ben Roethlisberger would be this bad. I mean, he looks awful back there. He looks, his arm looks shot. He looks washed up. The Steelers' offense hasn't done anything. Najee Harris hasn't been as good as I thought he would. Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson haven't done anything. The defense is still as good as ever with TJ Watt, um, Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick. But this Steelers team, all the Steelers' offense has to do is consistently score 21 points, and they will win every game. And they just haven't been able to do that, which is why I have them as the biggest disappointment. But moving on to our the last segment of this episode, the quick pick segment. Um, you guys know we'll be predicting every game this week. No teams are on a bye. So the scoreboard after week four is I have 25, James has 27. I gained a couple points last week. But starting off with the New York Jets facing off the against the Atlanta Falcons, this game is in London. It doesn't matter. I still have the Falcons. Zach Wilson is still going to struggle even in another country. Definitely, Perry. We can kind of pick on the New York Jets at this point. I know they came away with a win over the Titans last week. Darnold played, uh, excuse me, um, what's his face? Zach Wilson played well. Darnold's now in Cleveland, my, uh, Carolina. But, you know, I have Atlanta winning this one pretty handily. Then the New England Patriots versus Houston Texans game. I have New England. Tyrod Taylor's injured. He's not going to be able to start. So, Houston, you already have not as great of a quarterback. They're pretty low on a, at the quarterback standard. And now you're having your backup play. They're not going to be able to put up almost anything against this New England defense, de- New England Patriots defense. I have the Patriots winning this one. Yeah, James, I have the Patriots winning this one as well. I don't think it will be a close game either. And then moving on to Detroit, Minnesota. I thought Detroit would win last week. I thought they've looked, they've looked pretty good for an 0-4 team, but I think Minnesota is going to take this one against their NFC North rival pretty handedly. Yeah, I agree. I think Dalvin Cook is going to have a good game in this one. Justin Jefferson's looked good. Adam Thielen as well. With Kirk Cousins at the quarterback position, I have Minnesota winning this one. And then I have Carolina moving up to 4-1. and one. If McCaffrey plays, this is even more of an easy win for Carolina. If not, they're going to have to fight for it a little bit. But I think regardless, they're going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles in this one. James, I actually think this is going to be a close game. I think that I'm giving Carolina the win as well, but I think this could be a one-score game. It's going to be really, really close for this one. And then moving on to the Saints-Washington. The Saints seem to be winning every other week, and I'm going to keep with that trend. I have the Saints taking this one over Washington. Washington has really disappointed me this season. They're 2-2, two and two, though, so they still have a chance, especially in that awful NFC East. But I do have the Saints winning this one behind Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is going to have a good game, but I'm actually going on the other side of things with this one. I have Washington winning this one. Um, Tyler Heineke, he's been playing well this season. I think Antonio Gibson is going to kind of turn it up a notch. He hasn't had a great start, but I think that he's going to start kind of turning the page for his season. I actually have Washington winning this one. Now I have Tennessee. They're going to be winning a bounce-back game after they lost to the Jets, which is unacceptable, frankly, especially with the team that they have that offense. That's a discussion for another time. They have not looked as they should, but they're playing Jacksonville. That's the perfect team to be playing to have a bounce-back week. I have the Titans winning this one. 
James, I agree with everything you just said there. This strikes me as a bounce-back game for Tennessee, and I think they will win this one pretty handedly. And then moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they looked met against the Patriots. That was a closer game than I thought it would be. Um, maybe I might have to buy a Mac Jones jersey now because the Patriots lost by less than a touchdown. But I have Tampa Bay winning this one over Miami. Jacoby Brissett has looked good, not great, and I think that Tampa Bay will just flex their muscles a little bit down in um, Raymond James Stadium. Yeah, Perry, this should be an absolute blowout. Tom Brady's going to lead his Buccaneers squad over the Miami Dolphins, a team that he played several times when he was in the AFC East with New England. Now, I have Green Bay knocking off Cincinnati in this one because, I mean, honestly, nobody really expected Cincinnati to start off 3-1 and one the way they have. But Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, that's all you've got to say. I have the Packers winning this one. Yeah, James, they certainly have a case for most surprising team, but I have the pack as well. Rodgers has looked great since that uh, season one loss to the Saints, and I have them winning another pretty handedly game. And then moving on to Denver-Pittsburgh. Denver's 3-1. They won their three games against a weak strength of schedule. Now they have Pittsburgh, who's been my most disappointing team. I actually have Denver winning this one. Tay Bridgewater is still in the concussion protocol. It might be Drew Locke, which hurts the Broncos. But I think that Pittsburgh just has looked so awful. And this could legitimately be a 7-3 win for Denver with how good these two defenses are playing. Yeah, Perry, this is definitely going to be a low-scoring affair, but I think that if Teddy Bridgewater is out, that's going to really hurt the Broncos, as you said. I have Pittsburgh winning this one. I know their offense, who they're going to put out on the field, is just more talented. I think that at the end of the day, they're going to be able to win this game. Head on over to the Chicago Bears versus the Las Vegas Raiders matchup. I have Las Vegas win this one. They're another shocking team so far, sitting at 3-1. and one. Derek Carr is looking like an MVP candidate the way he's throwing the ball, and I think that he is going to lead his team to a victory. I have Las Vegas in this one. Yeah, good for Justin Fields to get his first win last week. I think it's short-lived. I have the Raiders as well after their setback against the Chargers, who are actually playing in the next game that we are going to be talking about against the Cleveland Browns. Look, Cleveland's look good. They haven't looked as great as I thought they would have before the season. But at the end of the day, I think this is the week that the Browns get going. I have the Browns winning this one in a close game against the Chargers. I disagree with you on this one, Perry. I think this is going to be one of the better matchups of the week. But I have the Chargers winning this game. Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He's going to throw the ball all over the place in this game against the Chicago against the Cleveland defense. Excuse me. Then they also have Keenan Allen out there at the wide receiver position. Austin Eckler. You also have Mike Williams, who's really been showing out so far this season as a clear wide receiver too for this team. So I think that the Chargers are going to be able to knock off the run-heavy Cleveland team. I have Chargers to win this one. And then I also have in the rivalry matchup between the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. I have Dallas knocking off this one. Dak Prescott's been looking phenomenal, and that's going to continue for him. They're going to win this game. Yeah, James, this game's going to be a blowout. I have Dallas um, beating the Giants. And then moving on to Arizona against San Francisco. I would have picked San Francisco if Jimmy Garoppolo was playing, but it's Trey Lance's first start. I don't trust the kid against the 4-0 team in the Cardinals. I have the Cardinals winning this one in a much closer game than people expect. Barry, I also have the Cardinals in this one, but I don't think it's going to be as close as you were as you're talking about. I think Kyle Murray is going to throw for a lot of yards, hitting on DeAndre Hopkins as number one offense several times. So that's going to be a pretty blowout win for the Cardinals, in my opinion. And then in the best game of the week, for sure, Buffalo Bills versus Kansas City Chiefs. Casey, this is a must-win game for them. If not, then they fall to two and three. Their playoff hopes could possibly be in jeopardy. I think they're still going to get in no matter what, but. 
Buffalo's definitely going to run for their money with Josh Allen at quarterback. Stephon Diggs at wide receiver. It's going to be a great matchup all around. I have KC squeezing away in this one with a victory, but it's going to be tight, and this is a must-win game for KC. And it's definitely a chance for Buffalo to shock the NFL world with a victory as well. But I have Kansas City. Yeah, James, uh, Kansas City hasn't looked great. As you said, Buffalo lost their first game, and then they've just blown out three straight teams. They're 3-1. and one. Uh, Kansas City needs to win this game for tie-breaking purposes, as I said before. I have Kansas City winning this game, as you said, in a very high-scoring, very close affair on Sunday night football. And then moving to the Monday night football game between Baltimore and Indy. Indies look good. They're 1-3. Carson Wentz is starting to look better. Quentin Nelson out-hurts them. I have Baltimore and Lamar Jackson taking this victory on Monday night. I also have Baltimore Perry winning this one. They're just continuing to chip away, get victories with the injured squad they have. I have Baltimore winning this one in a tight matchup. And that does it for our episode today with the From Ballpark to Wizardry Sportscast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us anytime. Our email is on our website. You can get in touch with us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever you have. You can get in touch with segment ideas, any of that. Come on the show if you want. We are welcome to any ideas. So definitely get in touch with us. But that's all we have for you guys today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And I'm James Farley signing out alongside my co-host Perry Martinez with the From Ballparks of Buzzbeer Sportscast. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you.